Well, good morning. It's good to be with all of you this morning. I want to begin, and, and this requires your participation. Um, I want to begin, and raise your hand if you're really good at keeping secrets. Don't be ashamed of that. You're really good, okay? Now, keep them raised. Keep them raised if you're good at keeping secrets. Now, everybody look around. Whoever is not raising their hand, do not tell them anything about yourself, okay? And so what we're going to be talking about today is somewhat that, but we also just like to learn about one another. So some of you are really good at keeping secrets, and some of you aren't. That's okay. But we're, what we're talking about today is we dive into chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. We're continuing our series called Masterclass, and we're looking at how Paul writes this letter to the Corinthian church, addressing how the gospel speaks to every facet of our life. And as we dive into chapter 2, we're going to be looking at things such as remembering when Paul came to them, remembering the gospel, what he brought, what he did not bring. And then we're going to look at the revelation of God, what he has revealed to us, why he is so mighty, why he is so glorious. And as I begin to think about, man, can I keep a secret? Because like I said, the whole point of this is something is going to be revealed at a certain point. I begin to think about things that there's a time for them to be revealed good and bad. So for instance, my wife Emily, last week one of her coworkers had a gender reveal party. And Emily knew the gender of her baby before other people did, before the mother did. So it would not be good for Emily to reveal that until the, the proper time, okay? And so yesterday they shot off these powder cannon things, and it was pink, so she's having a girl. So that's, that's, a, that's a good thing to celebrate. Like, there's a proper time to reveal this. And then I begin to think about some things that might be bad in my life. Um, there's a running joke here, and it's true, so it's not really a joke. I'm 24. I've had my license for eight years, and I've had like six speeding tickets and totaled a few cars. And as I begin to think about that and just like, man, I guess repent, I don't know. <laughs> I begin to think about, man, there was such a proper time to reveal to my parents that I had gotten a speeding ticket. It is not right when the officer leaves, you know, your window and I'm driving. I'm like, okay, so dad will be home at work at this time. Mom is much more lenient and on my side than he is. So there was a proper time to reveal all these things. Now, transitioning into my life now, my wife, Emily, there's a proper time to reveal to her that I got a speeding ticket. Um, so everything has a time and a place. But we're not in Ecclesiastes today. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians, looking at this revelation, looking at this remembrance of the gospel. And so if you will, let's go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, there is a black Bible around you somewhere. And if you do not own a Bible, that is our gift to you. Please take that one home. But we are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 on page 1011. And so as we're continuing this, today Paul just jumps right into this in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not of persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that... So that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. Just to set the context a little bit of where we're at in 1 Corinthians, I just want to give you a little background of Paul's relationship with these believers. So the Apostle Paul, um, who lived many years ago, wrote numerous letters to certain churches that he had helped start or that he had relationships with. Um, there's a few things that we can pick up on, though, knowing and understanding 1 Corinthians, and that is this, and, and it's really Paul's relationship with these believers. That's the biggest backdrop I think I could give you as we dive into chapter 2, is what kind of relationship did he have with these believers? The first thing we know is that he knows these believers, like really, really knows these believers. It's estimated that he spent around 18 months with them, that he really, really knows them. Because he knows them, we also see that he is concerned for them. 
And so throughout Paul's letters, there are a few times where Paul is writing to thank a church for what they are doing, maybe while he's in prison, such as the book of Philippians. But then we get to letters like 1 Corinthians, and we see that he is concerned for them. And so he writes this letter of correction. There are things within the church, division, different theologies, and Paul is writing in order to once again rekindle their faith in the risen Lord. And so because he knows them and because he is concerned for them, we also see that he wrote this letter because he loved them. You see, Paul loved this Corinthian church. One of the toughest things to do, but one of the things that can't be overlooked, is correction in the form of love. If we love someone, we will correct them even though it's hard when that timing um, is right. And so just a side note here before we go, I really love this reminder about 1 Corinthians. And listen, I am not one for confrontation. So if you're like, oh, it must be easy for Adam to correct people. It's not. I don't like that at all. But we must ask ourselves, will we be that voice when our brother or sister is stepping, maybe sidestepping the Lord a little bit? When there are things that are entering their lives that, that don't align with the gospel, will we be that sweet, passionate, graceful voice that says, look, this is where you're at and this is why I'm concerned? Now, yes, Paul is dealing with super difficult things here, and we're going to dive into that a little bit. But nevertheless, he loves these believers, and this letter is a form of correction. And so thus far, we've seen that Paul knows these believers. He is concerned for these believers. He loves these believers. And we also see this little caveat that he makes in chapter 1 before we get into chapter 2. And it's this, that the word of the cross, the message of the cross, is not wise according to the world, the world but it is foolish. In fact, chapter 1 Uh, Verse 18, he says that the word of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so we know one thing, that the word of the cross, what he is setting up in 1 Corinthians, is foolish. According to the world, it makes no sense. The second thing we see is that not only does he have a foolish message, but God uses foolish men. Also in chapter 1, he says, men, consider your calling. Not many of you were wise according to this world's standard. Not many of you were smart. Not many of you were handsome. We're good. All that. He's saying, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to this, this world. And here we are in chapter 2. And so let's dive in with these things in mind. Verse 1. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or of wisdom. Paul begins this section of his letter reminding them of, first off, that he actually came to them. And I think this is important for us to put our, our, ourselves in the shoes of these readers. He says, remember when I came to you announcing the mystery of the gospel? Paul is reminding them, think back. Think back when I came to you with this message. And I think it begs the question for all of us, can you think back to the first time that you heard the gospel clearly? The first time that this good news entered your soul and it made sense. For me, it was the summer of 2009. And, and this, is what, this is what Paul is beginning with. Think back to when I came to you with the message of the gospel. And here he jumps into what he came with or what he did not come with. Verse 1, again, it says, I did not come with brilliance of speech or of wisdom. And then again in verse 4, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Now, what does this mean here? A demonstration and knowing of, of the Spirit's power, not coming with brilliance of speech or wisdom. Now, I like the translation better lofty. Some of your translations may say that with lofty wisdom because throughout the New Testament, we see this picture sometimes of Christ that he is lofty, high above everything else. And so what Paul is saying here is that I did not come with speech that could be taken as above the gospel message or even below it. I did not come with this this word that might take you away from the true gospel. And why does he make this point? 
If we were to look back in chapter 1, we would see that he had to deal with this within the Corinthian church. There were some men that would say, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, and then some, I belong to Jesus. But what Paul is addressing here is that, look, it's not about that. And think about your, your Friday night, your typical Friday night. My wife Emily and I were big movie people. We like sushi. And there's this your sushi movie theater? No. There's this great sushi restaurant that we go to before we go to a movie. Sushi Siam, it's the best. And so think about what your go-to Friday night is. For the Corinthians, they would love to go hear orators. And these were just men and women who would speak with persuasive words, the art of rhetoric. They loved going to hear these speakers, and they had their favorites. Much like you might have your favorite sports team or your favorite artist or whatever it might be, they had their favorites. And what had happened here is that they had taken their entertainment and brought it into the church. They begin to see things like, man, have you heard Paul recently? He's really good. Now that guy, he's good. Apollos, though, that's who I belong to. And what Paul is saying here is, look, I didn't come with brilliance of speech or wisdom so that this cannot happen. So something is happening inside the church that ought not be there. And it reminds me of this story. I'm a big animal lover. Um, like, I'm the kind of person, if there's a dog and someone says, I can't keep it, I can. Like, I can. I promise you that I can. And, and I can think about um, numerous times within my childhood growing up, not when I was like 10 or 8 or 10, but when I was like 16 years old, getting a dog off Craigslist for free and bringing it home and just expecting my parents to be okay with it. They hated that. But I did that, okay? That was just me. I love animals. Literally, I was bored one day, found this puppy on Craigslist, drove to Greensboro, told the woman that my dog was dying, that my family was looking for another dog. This is not about my sins today. But <laughs> brought the dog home, and it, was, it just didn't turn out well. And then there was this time in college, which I think this takes the cake. So I went to college at Gardner-Webb University, small town of Boiling Springs, North Carolina. And what we would do, speaking of Friday nights, our go-to Friday night, was to go get hot dogs at the kangaroo gas station. And I know what you're thinking, hot dogs at the gas station, that's disgusting, but they're not. They're full of cheese, and it's just great. And, and you might be thinking, did you go to college in the 60s? No, Gardner-Webb is just small town. Like, that's what we had to do. Um, so this particular Friday night, we went to the kangaroo, and we got a hot dog. <laughs> and I remember this man holding this kitten. Didn't ask for any money. He just said, I can't, you know, do you want this kitten? Yes, I do. <laughs> So I bring this kitten back to my dorm room, or my apartment, and uh, my roommate, Will, there was four of us. He was the, I don't want to say the brains, but he was the brains. He's like, dude, you can't keep this kitten. What are you going to, like, we, 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 you can't keep it. We're in school, like, you can't keep it. I'm like, I'm a grown man. Yes, I can. <laughs> so I did what any cat owner does. I got him a nice bowl of milk because he was skinny, and I put him in the bathroom, and we went to sleep. I put a towel down, um, a bowl of milk, all that stuff. And the next morning, I can remember Will knocking on my door. Hey, get your cat, because I'm taking a shower. Perfect. Bring him on in here. Oh, he drank all the milk. That's great. Like, this cat was hungry. I took care of him. And he put him, you know, on my chest, and I was messing with him. And I'll never forget, my mom FaceTimed me um, by accident, I believe. And she said, what are you doing? And I, I had this cat on me. And I was like, look, I, I have a cat. And I'm sure she was thinking back to the times that I brought dogs home and stuff. And was like, what are you doing? But I had this cat, and no... It probably wasn't 15 seconds that that cat was on my chest. I'm going to spare you the details. No, I'm not. <laughs> this cat had drank a whole bowl of milk. It looked like he had gone to, like, a Mexican restaurant the night before and just <laughs> everywhere, everywhere. I have never seen so much poop come out of a little animal. And this is two weeks in a row of poop stories, so I apologize. Dylan shared his last week. This is mine. But that cat ruined my comforter. 
He ruined my comforter. And by the way, I didn't say this, but being a college student, I named the cat after the thing that I loved most, and so his name was Cookout. Uh, <laughs> this little kitten named Cookout. That day, that day, I found a girl on campus who would take him. I have no idea what happened to Cookout. But the point is, is that Cookout should have not have been there. And that's what Paul is saying about those who follow, not different beliefs, but different preferences, where you say, I belong to this, I belong to that. And, and really, in the words of Paul, if I could put words in Paul's mouth, I think he's saying, if you keep that in the church, it will poop all over your doctrine. Like, that, that's what's going to happen. And so Paul is fighting this. He's fighting these preferences, and he says, I did not come with this kind of wisdom so that this would not happen. More than that, in chapter 1, verse 17, it'll be on the screen, he says this, just to look back. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. He's not saying that he did not come with knowledge of the gospel, nor did he say, I didn't even open my mouth. Of course he knew the gospel. He was saved by the gospel. He preached the gospel. But what he is saying is that I dare not steal God's glory, so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect, I dare not steal God's glory, so I did not come with wisdom that you could say, that's who I'm following. And if I'm being honest this morning, it's, it's, it's honestly my temptation to walk off this stage and ask myself, Adam, were your words powerful? Did they make sense? Did they captivate? And never ask the question, did the Spirit move? I'm very tempted to go home, and if I don't feel the affirmation of this service, to say, what was the point of that? That's why Paul is saying, look, so much better than that and the wisdom that I think I have is the cross. And that sounds awful when I say it out of my mouth that I could actually think that, but that just shows where we're at sometimes if we're not careful. And Paul's saying, look, that's not what I wanted to get wrapped up in. That's not what you should get wrapped up in. And so the first thing that we should know this morning is that it is our call to demonstrate the Spirit's power, not wisdom. It's our call to demonstrate the Spirit's power, not wisdom. And what does this look like? Luckily, I think Paul tells us in the following verses. So if we could jump down to verse 2. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So he began this section by telling us what he did not come with, brilliance of speech or his own wisdom. But he decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Verse 3, I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And if we could summarize these verses in a phrase or two, I think it would be this, that in weakness, I press on. In weakness, I press on. What did Paul mean here when he said, knowing Christ crucified? Well, see, of course Paul knew the historical act of Jesus. He knew that he worshiped a crucified Lord. But more than that, he was bringing the message that the crucifixion has an overarching effect on our entire life. That the crucifixion does not begin and end at our salvation, but rather it is something that now flows through us and drives our daily life. It's the same thing that would cause him to write that I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It was this daily thing, and even before Paul, we had the message of Jesus in the Gospels. Take up your cross. Take up your cross and follow me. To demonstrate the Spirit's power is to understand that we have weakness. But in weakness, we press on knowing that the cross of Christ is our sustaining power. And so knowing your weakness is the first step in demonstrating the, 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 the Spirit's power because this is exactly where the gospel shows up. And I'm so thankful that verse 3 is in this where Paul is not just humble, but I believe he's being honest. 
where Paul says, look, I was terrified. I was scared. I've been in shipwrecks. I've been in stonings. I've been beaten. I've been almost killed. And I was with you for the sake of the gospel in fear and in trembling. We've heard a lot about God using the weak throughout 1 Corinthians, but here we actually have an example where Paul is honest about his struggles. And that must be our heartbeat. We must be honest with where we are at today in our struggles, and that is how we demonstrate the Spirit. But today, do you feel weak? Because that might sound good, but what you're actually feeling doesn't feel good. Do you feel weak? Do you feel afraid? Do you feel unprepared, maybe lacking in wisdom? Here's the good news. And why we must know that it's not our call to demonstrate the, 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 the wisdom that we think we have, but the power of the Spirit. And this is why, because not one soul has been saved by the wisdom of man. Not one soul has been saved by what we think is, is, is good for them. You see, when I was saved in 2009, I couldn't tell you who the speaker was. I couldn't tell you what message he, he spoke. I couldn't tell you what passage of scripture he was in. But I remember sitting in that service and then afterwards just feeling the spirit move, what I thought was the spirit, and it was. Feeling my eyes being opened. And that was not the wisdom of this man, not that he was trying to be, but it was the power of God. Not one soul has been saved by the wisdom of man. And this should encourage us to press on when we see the irony of the gospel is that it is broken people taking this message of wholeness. You see, it is when we feel, even though we feel like we're broken, that we take this message that says you can be whole. Even when we feel like we're not forgiven, we are saying be forgiven. That is the irony of this gospel. And that was, is what Paul is saying. And encourage us that it is about the power of God not our wisdom. And so in going to our neighbors and the nations, we go with the message of the cross, that I am weak, but he is strong. And we certainly have a part to play, but that is not in the saving of souls. That is the Spirit's role. And so thus far, everything that we've said today, I believe can be culminated, can be brought to verse 5 of this section. Why did Paul come with this and not come with this? Why did Paul want to see this happen? Verse 5, let's read it together. So that... So that, everything that I've just said, so that your faith might not be based in human wisdom, but on God's power. What he is saying here is that when families are restored, it's because of God. When souls are saved, it's because of God. When you have provision for your next meal, it's because of God. When the kids go to bed, it's because of God that they got in bed. That's what he's saying. When supernatural things happen and supernatural things that are promised happen, it's not because of Paul. It's not because of Apollos. It's because of God. And that's what he's saying. Put your faith here because these things are going to happen because of the gospel. And at the core of our faith, it is not the wisdom of man, but it is God's redeeming power. And so as we move down into this section and start in verse 6, we've seen the power of the Spirit. We've seen Paul say, look, this is what I came with. This is what I know. This is the power of the Spirit. And now he's going to turn our attention and shift our focus a little bit to the Spirit of revelation, the revelation that we have been given in God. So let's continue reading in verse 6. Verse 6, he says, We do, however, speak a wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. On the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Verse 9, but as it is written, 
What no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love him. And so as we break this down a little bit, Paul is saying um, a, a few things in verse 6 and 7. In verse 7, he says, on the contrary, on the contrary to the wisdom that I've been saying we're not about, here's what we are about. On the contrary, we speak of God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a, a, a wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory. A hidden wisdom. That's interesting. What does he mean by this? You see, Paul is making the case and making the correct argument that everything under the sun, anything that God could grant us, whether it be wisdom or salvation, nothing can be revealed until God reveals it. And so it is hidden until the revealer reveals it. Think about your favorite movie. Think about some of the favorite movies you have. And maybe it's, maybe it's a sports movie. Maybe it's a, like a, an action movie like Bad Boys. Bad Boys 3 is coming out. I don't, I don't know if those are good movies to go see, but Bad Boys 3 is coming out. And I would probably go see it. But some of you in here might like a good mystery. Maybe it's a thriller mystery where you're watching the whole movie and you're like, I don't know how this is going to unpack, but I can't wait for it. Maybe that's it. I was with a friend the other night, and he said that he had never seen a movie that took him back like The Sixth Sense. Since it came out 15, 20, 30 years ago, however, how old is Bruce Willis now? So I don't know. He says, I've never seen a movie since that when I got to the end and the, the, everything was revealed, I had to take a step back because that blew my mind. He says he hasn't seen a movie like that since. And what Paul is saying here is sort of like that, even though that's a silly example, but that at one point, wisdom was hidden. At one point, there was something hidden, and then it was revealed, and we had to take a step back. But what was that point? Because Paul makes it clear, it was predestined. It was predestined for our glory, and what was that point? Let's look at the next verse, verse 8. Verse 8 reads, none of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom, this, this, this hidden mystery, because if they would have known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. In other words, when was God's wisdom revealed? Or how? Through the crucified Lord of glory. At a certain point, there was this man that we believed was God. A man that came in our form, walked with us. And notice here that Paul does not just clarify him as Lord, but the crucified Lord. Once again, going back to it, it is the cross that has power. It was this man that the rulers rejected and never saw him as the Lord of glory. But this is no surprise. The Old Testament promised that a Messiah would come, but not only would the Messiah come, but the Messiah would be rejected. Isaiah 50 through 3, and it'll be on the screen, says this. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised, and we didn't value him. Why does Paul talk so much about weakness, being, being sure about our weaknesses, even though it's hard? Is because we see that even the Son of Man came who knew what sickness was. He was like someone that people turned away from. He was despised. He wasn't valued. The Son of Man put on flesh, and to the world appeared weak. And so Paul is saying, I'm okay in my weaknesses because what appeared weak through the Son of Man was actually power for salvation. He was despised and rejected. This was the crucified Lord of glory that has been revealed at the perfect time. And that leads us to what we must do this morning, and it is simply this. 
recognize the Lord of glory. Recognize the Lord of glory. In Jesus Christ, we have perfect revelation of who God is. And as Jesus came onto the scene, society noticed that he, was, he wasn't like anyone who has ever been before, good or bad. They said things like, he speaks with authority that we've never seen before. And in the end, as he had disciples following him and crowds and multitudes, and he was doing all these miraculous things, in the end, he died as a criminal. In the end, he was rejected. And nevertheless, we have the good news of the gospel that the God in his love, the God of this universe, came in the form of man and took the rejection, ultimately carrying our sins. He has revealed something to us. And we could say it like this. The all-powerful God has, re has revealed himself to powerless people. The all-powerful God came not because we deserve it and not because we have our act together or because we would accept him 100%, but he came to a people that would despise and reject him. The all-powerful God has revealed himself to a powerless people. He took on our form. He took on our likeness. And like we've been saying, and like Paul has been writing to us in 1 Corinthians, to the world this looks foolish. To the world this makes no sense. But to us it is the power of God, and this God calls us to follow him. You see, it's not just about being weak. And like I said earlier, with my temptation to walk off the stage and, and not even ask if the Spirit moved, it is also my temptation to say, man, were my words powerful enough to save someone? I may not say that out loud, but how foolish I am when I can't even save myself to think that I could possibly save you guys in my words. And this is what God is, is, or this is what Paul is saying. That's not just about being weak, but recognizing that you are powerless. And in conclusion this morning, we read of this promise, even though we are powerless. We read this verse in verse 9, and it says, But as it was written, What no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love him. What does God have in store for us fully? In full, only God knows. Things inconceivable to our heart. Things inconceivable to our eyes. But in grace, we get a glimpse of it. In grace, we get a glimpse of it here. The writer of 1 Corinthians is going to say later that now we see through a glass or through a mirror dimly. So as we experience lives being changed by the gospel, as we experience the joys of our spouse or of our children, as we experience nature and what God has in his creation, we get a glimpse of the inconceivable. But we know that this is just a glimpse because tomorrow life is hard. Today my life might be glorious. I'm seeing these things. And God, I recognize your glory and your power, but tomorrow is going to be painful. This life brings heartache, and we know it. But through it all, the spirit of power that Paul is referencing throughout this passage points us to someone. The spirit of God is always pointing us to the Son of God. And this is the crucified Lord that, the, that Paul brought, that he knew this mystery, he shared it with others, and he pleaded with them to not miss out on what the Lord has to offer. He pleaded with them that this crucified Lord of glory has something to offer don't miss out. And this leads us to lesson six of master class on our bottom line today. Why does all this matter? Because to miss out on Jesus 
is to miss out on the power that brings life. To miss out on Jesus is to miss out on the power that brings life. In society, we have something called FOMO. We have fear of missing out. No one ever wants to feel left out. No one ever wants to feel like they missed out on something. And it began to take me back to my childhood, and, and I made the joke first service, and it was kind of a realization for me that I might have not been as great as a child as I thought I was, because there were days that I would stay home sick, that I'm like, I'm really sick, I can't go. And I would fake it, and I would stay home, and around 12 o'clock, after I had watched SportsCenter for the third time, I'd realized something. Man, not going to school means that I can't go over to my buddy who lives on the golf course, because we were going to play golf after school. Staying home from school sick means that I can't go to church basketball tonight. What in the world? Now, with my parents, I normally got to anyways because they loved me so much. But nevertheless, I would lay there, and it was much easier to miss school, but it was not easy to, to go to these other things. And I remember laying there, and I'm like, man, I'm missing out. And maybe you can think back to things that you miss out on. You're like, that's awful. I hate that feeling. And that is such a silly example of what Paul is finishing this up with. That it's not that you're missing out on a basketball game or you're missing out on an activity, but you are missing out on the power of life. You are missing out on something that has the power to change your life, and not in a feel-good way, but in a supernatural, spiritual way. And once again, as we open this book and this letter to the Corinthians, we see this revelation. We see this revelation once again that there is an arrow pointing to one man. That there is a spirit that points to one man. That there is this power that points to one man. The man in the message that the world said was foolish, the spirit of power points to it and says, there is life. There is righteousness. And so today we must recognize him as the Lord of glory. The crucified Lord of glory. That's where the power lies. And to not recognize him as Lord is to reject him as Lord. There is no in-between. To not recognize him as Lord is to reject him as Lord. And the good news of the gospel, we say it here often, is that through Jesus you have no one to impress and nothing to prove. That this is not a call to recognize him once your life is cleaned up. Once you sin less, then recognize me. Jesus simply just calls us to recognize him. And in our recognition, we see that he is all-powerful and we are powerless. That I can't clean myself up, but you still beckon me to come to you. And that's the good news of the gospel, that there's nothing that you need to do today before you can go to him, before you recognize him as the Lord of glory. And once we recognize him, we will recognize ourselves. And so if God is calling you today, I would just about bet that it's the spirit of power. That it's the spirit of power once again reminding us that he is so much more glorious than anything else. That we can look to him for wisdom. That we can look to him for guidance. That he is more worthy and more capable than we could ever conceive to give us these good gifts. So if that is you this morning, I pray that we would lean into that spirit. The spirit that is leading you back to the Father. The spirit that holds us. The spirit that keeps us. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for who you are. Um, God, I thank you that you are so much more wise than we could ever be. That, God, you have things inconceivable. You hold things that we have never, could ever dream of, Lord. And, God, you call us to walk with you. 
Through the spirit of power, you draw our sinful hearts towards you. And I pray today that that we would lean into that spirit, that we would recognize that we don't have to clean ourselves up, but yet we just have to recognize you. That when we feel like we are powerless, it's because we are. But the good news of the gospel is that you are powerful, powerful over sin, powerful over death, and powerful enough to give us new life. I pray that we would just humbly submit to that new life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.